How many were here yesterday for Las Posadas? Wasn't that a wonderful time? We had a wonderful time together. I am so grateful that this community has made room for us to celebrate a new tradition, a Latin American tradition. When I first met with the Ministerial Search Committee, I shared with them how this Latin American reenactment of Mary and Joseph's journey, fleeing from violence, seeking shelter, is so relevant right now with everything that is going on, right? With families being separated, children being placed in cages, ICE agents raiding workplaces, individual homes, and even schools, tearing families apart. <clears throat> Las Posadas is a community-building event and a way to be in solidarity with all migrants and refugees. And I am so glad that our conversation back then has really taken root in this community, that you have welcomed the new songs, this new tradition. Um, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I think it also is a way to protest in a very lovely way. It's a way to resist in a very joyful way. Um, I love to march and I love to protest and I also love to sing and share a meal in community. Um, there are people right now being deported, people who were brought to this country maybe when they were months old or three years old. Now they are older. They have their own families that are U.S. citizens, and they are being deported to a country they have never known to speak a language they might have never learned. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. And as Unitarian Universalists, we are called to make room, Right? We are called to keep expanding our hearts to welcome those who are being persecuted, those who are suffering, those who live on the margins and are so vulnerable. We are called to keep expanding the welcome table. Last night, this community made room for a Nicaraguan family living in sanctuary at our partner church, Eden UCC. We are supporting Meyerling, Alejandro, her husband, who was just released from 18 months in an ICE detention center, and their three children. This community made room for them, for supporting them by pitching in and buying delicious tamales and singing songs in Spanish, welcoming new families, Ines, Amy, Ramona, singing carols in Spanish, in English, in Spanglish, sharing food, and most of all, you all made time to show up. Thank you. Thank you for all the many ways that you show up. Even if you were not here yesterday, you have been supporting Meyerling. There are people here like Claudia and Rennie who have been working with them. Beth, learning Spanish with them, giving them rides, providing transportation, and taking in their gift, right? Their gift of grace, their gift of solidarity, their gift of the joy from those children that you can't help but smile when you're around them. Thank you to all who have supported them in so many different ways. I've also been thinking about making room in terms of both letting in and letting go. 
Whenever we plan a Sunday worship service, our team thinks about every element, right? Every song, every message about this emotional arc that we are creating. And we introduce new elements. We understand that sometimes, for some of us, it is difficult to accept that new element. We know that we are asking you to make room for the new, unfamiliar, perhaps even the uncomfortable. For worship to be communal, to be life-giving, to be meaningful, it has to have elements that are both familiar as well as elements that challenge us to keep building that communal table to keep expanding our hearts to grow together as a community. I'm grateful for this community, for your willingness to make room and to keep expanding the welcome table. At the end of the year, it is customary to think about <clears throat> what we need to let go of in order to make room for the new. I want to invite us now to think of just one thing that is taking up too much room in your heart, in your mind, maybe in your body, producing headaches, insomnia, different eating patterns, anxiety or stress? What is something that is an obstacle for you being able to reach a new level of awareness, of commitment to yourself, family and friends, a new level of joy, a new level of freedom. Some of us are literally weighed down, storing too much stuff physically and spiritually. Maybe we're thinking we'll use it one day. Maybe we're getting used to doing things a certain way, developing patterns, and we do things only one way. And that pattern, while familiar, might be preventing us from experiencing the expansion of our hearts, which is a miracle. What is the thing we are holding on to but doesn't serve us very well? It's not helping us to live into our values, our aspirations. As we think about this one thing, let's just breathe together. Breathe together as we lift up this one thing that is in the way. Thank you. Hold on to that. I invite you to think about the process of letting go. Giving up the me in service of the we. Here are the words of 
UUA co-moderator, Mr. Barb Grieve. What is so important in Unitarian Universalism that you would be willing to sacrifice for it? And they say, for me, the answer to this question is simply that I am willing to sacrifice for the saving, loving message of Unitarian Universalism. I would not be alive today if it were not for this message. I've known my gender identity since I was very small, probably about age four or five. Because of being raised UU and our insistence on lived experience as part of the holy, I was able to trust my own understanding of my identity. I was never taught that my internal truth was wrong or unholy, as so many queer and trans folks are taught today. That teaching, that trusting of my inner voice and experience and God's love, however you define God, the trusting of love of community, that message was truly life-saving for me. I invite you to think about the process of letting go, this practice of giving up me in service to we as a sacred right, letting go of something that we hold dear individually, that thing that holds us back, instead move toward the collective we, Sacrifice is about what, for the love of the faith, each of us is willing to offer up and let go of. When people collectively come together in faith, we become more than our human limitations. And when we enter into a faith community, we are entering into a space that exists beyond us as individuals. So the sacrifice that we are called to do It's a loving letting go of what keeps us separate from one another. That letting go is different for each of us depending on our social location and power. Already most you use with multiple marginalized identities have made great sacrifices and regularly continue to sacrifice in order to believe that this faith can live into its full potential. If practicing this faith has not already asked a lot of you in terms of your own comfort, it's time to consider what you need to lay down on the altar that is dear to you but keeps you out of connection to others in our faith community. Allowing ourselves to be changed is what allows our communities to thrive. I'll say that again. Allowing ourselves to be changed is what allows our communities to thrive, end quote. And to help us unpack the process of making room, I've invited Beth Ogilvie to share with us some of her experiences on this journey towards making room. Thank you, Beth. Good morning. morning. I'm here to invite you on a journey, a magical journey that can take place over a very long time or just a few seconds. 
I've taken this journey myself a number of times in the last few years, and I'm starting to see the stages of it more clearly. I've been thinking lately about many things, about cultural differences and hospitality, about connecting across difference, how to do it and why to do it. And I've noticed that the path I take as I navigate these things and the places along the path are starting to look familiar. When I'm around people who come from a culture different from my own, white European cultural roots, when I'm engaged in community service, for example, I often notice behaviors that are different from what I'm used to. Some of them make me uncomfortable. How many of you, for example, have had an interaction with someone who had a different idea of how close to get when you're face-to-face talking? (laughs) Or what kind of eye contact was appropriate? And how did you feel when that happened? So that's the first stage on this journey, noticing how we're feeling. I notice when I'm feeling uncomfortable or annoyed or perhaps even hurt by what someone else is doing. So that's this first stage, shifting into awareness, being mindful. Often, for example, this has to do with the volume of sound that someone else is producing. There are a few situations in European-American culture where being loud is okay, Um, sporting events and rock concerts come to mind. But mostly it's not okay, and even that phrase, being loud, that's prejudicial in the culture I grew up in. If someone else is being loud, my first reaction very often is irritation and disapproval. If I'm trapped on a BART car, it could be quite strong irritation. Once I was backpacking with a friend and we met a young couple with music blaring away. We were two days from the road out in the Yosemite wilderness and this felt so out of place for us. We didn't say anything, we just said, hi, how are you? But after they were out of earshot, my friend said, I'm feeling judgmental. When I notice I'm feeling irritated or judgmental, I'm training myself to move into curiosity, which is the next stage on the journey. Why am I feeling this? What's behind it? Is it possible there's some cultural difference here, some cultural practice or belief or expectation that's influencing me? Culture, by the way, doesn't have to be ethnic. Unitarian Universalism has a culture that is different from other religions. And this church has a culture that is different from other churches. Deaf people have a unique culture. Different generations have their own cultures. We're starting to talk about changing the culture of our church. And I believe the process that I'm describing today offers a way for us to do it intentionally with awareness and with choice about what we're doing. Also, culture includes many things. 
Culture's like an iceberg with obvious elements above the waterline, like language and food and dress and literature and music. Below the waterline are things we sometimes don't recognize as culture at all. A lot of them are attitudes and beliefs about leadership or child-rearing or courtship or death or friendship. Many of them have to do with what behaviors are considered appropriate in different contexts. And a key facet of these below-the-waterline cultural characteristics is if we're part of the dominant culture, they can be invisible to us. They can be so ingrained in us, we don't even know they're there. So a big part of this process is making the invisible visible, learning to see more of what has just been part of what is. And that's the next stage on the journey, openness, learning, learning to see the invisible and to realize that perhaps my way isn't the one right way, the natural human way. Perhaps it's something I learned and other people learned other ways. This is cultural humility. And cultural humility is a great place to be in. On our journey, it's the edge of a vast open field filled with sparkling possibilities. But cultural humility in itself is not enough. To actually move into that field is another big step on the journey. See, I've noticed in myself that when I've had this great insight, when I've realized that my way is not the only way and there are other ways that could be equally valid, it doesn't automatically mean I want to change. Sometimes I get very stubborn at this point. I really like my way. It's comfortable and comforting. If different ways are equally valid, why should I give up mine? And my message today is not that we always should. My message is that I believe there are times when it will be worthwhile, when the rewards will exceed the cost, sometimes far exceed the cost. When I'm in this state of what I think of as stubborn understanding, I have a choice. I can choose not to move, to stay where I am. This is a valid option. Or I can choose to make room for someone else's way of being. One way to do that is to compromise, to meet in the middle. In worship, for example, we're moving towards making room for all of our different worship styles. Not for someone to preach hellfire and brimstone, but for all of us to see ourselves reflected in worship. Another option I've found is to shift into generosity, to intentionally choose some degree of discomfort in order to make someone else feel at home so they can relax and be themselves. This is a gift I give the other person to make room for them to be themselves. I'm not talking about martyrdom here. I'm not into that. 
just taking on some amount of discomfort in exchange for the pleasure of seeing someone else being able to relax and be themselves. And when they're free to be themselves, when they're not guarded by the need to conform to my standards, we have the opportunity to meet in a place of openness and acceptance as two human beings, two beautiful human beings who have found each other. It's a process of intentionally letting go of my ideas of the right way and the wrong way to see what opens up between us. As Rumi said, you'll recognize this, out beyond the ideas of right doing and wrong doing, there is a field. I will meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. For me, this process is a way to reach that field. And I found that when I'm there, the element of sacrifice that I felt in giving up some comfort transforms into a blessing, an awareness of grace. Instead of giving, I'm receiving. I meet the other person with humility and appreciation. I realize that their presence is a blessing. I receive this blessing. Sometimes I still feel the discomfort, and at the same time, I feel blessed. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Let's go back to that moment of generosity I just mentioned for a minute. The process of giving something to someone can be problematic. It can come from a poor you, I'm going to take care of you point of view. I'm talking here about a different kind of generosity, one that comes from humility, from saying, in this moment, I am not the most important person here. It comes from moving myself and my needs and desires out of the center and instead centering someone else. I'm not dismissing my own needs and desires. I'm not throwing them out. I'm just moving them off-center temporarily. I spoke here in October about my relationship to the sacred emptiness, about meeting someone else with a metaphorical empty bowl between us where there's room for us to meet, to learn about each other, and to create something new and wonderful together. If my wants and needs are filling the space between us, there is room, sorry, for much else to happen. I've come to see my desire for comfort as a barrier to connection, as something that takes up a lot of space between me and other people. I'm not against comfort, the older I get, the more attractive it is. You should see me backpacking these days. I have a bigger tent and a thicker pad and a warmer sleeping bag. When I was in my 20s, I used to use my boots for a pillow. Those days are over. These days, in fact, my life is pretty darn comfortable. It's a privilege I have. At the same time, I've found that occasionally choosing to be less comfortable can bring a big reward. Sometimes what gets in the way isn't comfort, it's my need to make plans and manage things. I'm a planner. 
A year ago, at the end of Beloved Conversations, which is an anti-racism curriculum that Reverend Maria Christina and I led last year and the year before, we brought both class cohorts together for a shared meal. What I wanted to do during this meal was get organized for the future, decide what to do, create a new organization, identify participants, make lists of action items, right? What Reverend Maria Christina wanted to do was go around the circle and say what we were grateful for about Beloved Conversations. For those of you who have been studying the document by Kenneth Jones and Tema Oaken on characteristics of white supremacy culture, you will recognize what I wanted to do as a perfect illustration of this. And I will tell you this, I was really attached to my plans. I felt like Jacob wrestling with the angel over that one. But in the end, I yielded to the angel and I gave up my plans and it turned out so much better. Instead of the business meeting I would have created, we connected on a deep heart level. It was a spiritual experience. This is the journey for me in a nutshell, to recognize when my wants and needs are getting in the way, to look for a way to move them off center and to be open to whatever ensues. I never know exactly what it will be, but I love the adventure of the journey and often it has brought me to a place of deep connection with another human being. And this, more than anything, is what makes life worth living for me. Thank you.